if you will. We're going to go continue looking here at this verse and uh, do so. Uh, last time, uh, Galatians 4, verse number 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made unto the law. And the goal is to really kind of finish this verse. Last time we looked at the, the part there about the fullness of the time was come. We went back into Daniel 9. We saw the prophetic timeline. And right when the Lord was to be born, he was born. Now, next week we'll talk about the birth of Christ. We'll do that in the 930 hour. So you see, right on time, it was time, okay? And we'll do that, and we'll have a good time with that. And then the second hour next week, we'll finish up Tis the Season with number uh, with lesson number four, which is just my message to you guys as uh, we kind of wrap up the year and uh, or the Christmas season, if you will. But here, we see that Christ... That in the fullness of the time was come, notice the verse, God sent forth his son. Now, obviously, the, the, come over with me to John chapter 1. God, that would be the Father, sent forth his son. And when you think about the Godhead, so what we're going to do is we're going to take each little Galatians 4 phrase. God sent forth his son. When you think about the Godhead, and you think, try to, you know, everybody gets this, the God-man, Jesus Christ, God and man, 100% God, 100% man, how does it work? Well, it works rather easily when you get your nose out of the theological books, and you come back into the Word of God, and you let the Word just talk to you. When you think about who the Lord Jesus Christ is, Lord, that's deity, Jehovah, that's who he is. Jesus, that talks to, about, to his humanity. You're going to call his name Jesus. There's his humanity. Christ, the anointed one. There he is, the anointed, the one that's going to come and do for humanity what humanity could never do for itself because he's God, the son of the living God, Matthew 16, Peter calls him. But when you start with that and you begin to think about, okay, how do I understand God? God is... Look in this room. We're all sitting here, okay? For the internet, you're sitting there. In the room, we have 250 people, so the room's packed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay? Now, we, we do have a full room. Don't get me wrong. It's just not 200. If we had 250 people here, we'd be in another building somewhere else in town. So, no, we, I wouldn't be in the dog park. I'd be in another building somewhere else in town. Um, when you think about, look at this room, the 70 of us, 60, 70 of us. What are we? We're human. We're human. That's what we are. We're humanity. Now, we're all different. We have different upbringings. We, we look different. We have different hairstyles. We have different eye colors. We have, we're different. Now, you can look at family and know who's family because they look similar. Okay? But when you look over and you, you understand how to, how to relate to humanity... So what is, what is, we have the essence of human. We have the essence of man. That's who we are. That's how you can understand what I'm saying. Now, think about God. God is an, is, is an essence of God. There's, there's three members that make up the, the class called God. The essence of God. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each three live for each other. They have a attitude. They have feelings. I know you got John 1. Stick something in there. I've, I just thinking about yesterday. Maybe we'll do this next week. Well, you know what? Just let it be. Stay in John 1. I got to stay on task or we'll never get out of here. And I'm, I'm hungry. You see that plate of snacks over there? I'm down 55 pounds, okay? Everybody keeps asking me. And I'm sitting there going, I got 20 more to go. So the doctors say, I think I'm done after looking at that plate. <laughs> like, oh, I think we're going to go over here. You know, but anyway, that has nothing to do with anything except to get my mind back to John 1. When you think about God sent forth his son, when you think about God, the essence of God, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are members, independent members, but they live connected and they live for one another. They live to live for the other. So in John 1 verse 1, what does John say? In the beginning was the Word, 
Notice the capital W. So that's a title of the Son. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was the beginning in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him. Him who? God. But wait a minute. Which one? Because in Genesis 1, you've got God speaking, and there goes the Spirit of God working. You have all three. It's God the Father's plan, creation was. You've got God the Son executing the plan, and you've got God the Holy Spirit doing the work of it, the plan. But God sent forth His Son, verse 14, John 1, 14. And the Word was made what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we have... The father looking to the son and says, son, the time is now for you to go. So I'm sending you. And there's a whole study about the Lord looking all through the gospels. And he says, I'm here doing the one that sent me. I'm here doing his will. Not my will, but thy will, father. I'm here doing this. And there's this whole thing. And what God the father said is, Here's the timeline, here's the plan, here's the blueprint, here's what we're going to execute, here's the wisdom, and now, son, it's time for you to go. And you know what the son says? He's been saying, by the way, he's been saying it before the foundation of the world. Ooh, 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 put me in, put me in. Let me go. Can I go now? That's how excited he was and is about the father's plan. Sometimes we think about God in the ivory tower, stuffed shirt and no fun. Could you imagine looking at the platypus and think we were at the zoo last night, you know, and thinking about God not having a sense of humor? And actually, I'm thinking about Adam because he named it, you know. But see, the thing is, is all through Paul, all through the Gospels, the Lord has a sense of humor. He has sarcasm, too. He has anger. He has all. But God the Father says, you know what? It's time for you to go, son. It's time for you to go. And when you do that, come over to Luke chapter 1. You're going to go and do the plan. Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, really, you have the, the dating of the birth of Christ is in Luke 1. We're just going to dive in here. And just notice some things about God sending forth his son. Luke 1, verse 26. And just notice something here about how scripture talks here. Luke 1, verse, uh, well, let's, you know what, let's go to 67. I think that's where we were. Look at Luke 1, 67. And his father, Ze- uh, Zacharias, now the, his there is John the Baptist, okay, Zacharias and Elizabeth have a baby, have a baby boy. His name's John. He's one of the seven guys named prior to being born, John the Baptist. John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ are cousins. Elizabeth and Mary are cousins, so we have cousins here. And he says there in verse 67, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Now, do you see the Lord God there? Lord, Jehovah, God. There's There's Jehovah, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy of promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we would be delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now watch, and thou child shalt be called the prophet of the highest. Well, who's the prophet of the highest? Who's the highest? The Lord is, so he's talking to John. 
For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remissions of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Look at that. Look at how Zacharias describes the Lord. Then he turns to John and says, John, you're the forerunner. You're the fulfillment of, of Isaiah there. You're the fulfillment of prophecy. And look at that. He is the day spring. He's the source of life for us as a nation. Verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the, into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. Look at the, Notice what Zacharias says. And talking to John the Baptist, holding that kid there, he's a baby, he's just been born, verse 57, Elizabeth's full time's come that she would be delivered. And he looks and he says, look, your job is to announce the, guy that, the, the young man that's about to be born in Luke 2 because he is the dayspring. He is the Messiah. He is, Matthew 16, 16, the son of the living God. That's who he is. No doubt in Zacharias' mind and who his, the cousin is that's coming, the relation. There he is. Look over with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul. Please be 2 Corinthians 8. Yes, yeah, 2 Corinthians 8. I am sorry. First mistake I made this morning. <laughs> uh, I should say this hour. 2 Corinthians 8, look at verse number 9. 8-9. 2 Corinthians 8. Better make sure 13's right. Actually... Okay, you with me? 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, sorry. This is what you get for going out to zoo lights last night and, having a, and coming, home, coming home worried about everything. 1 Corinthians 8, look at verse 6. Paul deals with this, and he says, But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom, are all, of whom are all things, and we in him. So how many fathers, how many gods are there? One God. He's made up of three individuals. The Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we, notice, by him. The Father, we're in Him. How did we get in Him? By Him, the Son. But also, who, who put us into the body of Christ? The Spirit. See, that by, that word by carries. Come over to 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13. So when we're talking here, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, when you're talking about God sent forth His Son, He didn't send down just anyone. He sent the second member of the Godhead, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. There they are, the three. The second member of the Godhead, that's who the Father sends. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You see, the reason God sends God, the Father sends the Son, is because the Son's the only one that can accomplish what needs to be done. He's the only one that can be the kinsman redeemer. He's the only one that can take care of man's, their problem, their deficiency. So he comes. 2 Timothy 2, 
Paul says, verse 7, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things, remembering that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Remember that Jesus Christ, who, who is he? He's of the seed of David. Matthew 1, verse 1, in the, the book of the generation of, the Lord, of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, there he is. There's that seed line runs through the seed of the woman. That's why Galatians 4, 4, the next thing is made of a woman. See, God, when he, you know, think about, think about that. God sends forth his son. Do you know he could have just said, son, go, and what would have happened? He'd have just showed up. He'd have just showed up on the mountaintop. Here I am. But that's not how God's word had said it was going to happen. So he was made of a woman. Now come back to Genesis 3. Watch how this goes here. Watch, watch the progression. God sent forth his son. When, Genesis 3. When God, the Godhead met, before the foundation of the world, before creation, before anything was decided how it was going to do, the plan was laid out, a redemptive plan, a redemption plan, a plan of, redeem, of redeeming creation. And I'm going to use you, son, to accomplish that. And Spirit, Holy Spirit, you're going to be involved in this manner. I'm going to be involved in this manner. And what the Father's manner is, is he's giving the word. He's producing the information. Here, the father, he's, he's not the patriarch as in he's the head guy because they're all equal. But rather, he's the one that had the plan. He's the father of glory, Ephesians calls him. He says, here's the plan, guys, and this is what we're going to do. And the son says, I'm on, I'm on board. S sign me up. And by the way, can we go do this now? Do we have to wait? Nope, you got to wait. Nope, I want to go. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, squirrel, you know, let's go. The Holy Spirit says, would you calm down? Just relax, chill. We'll get there. But I'm on board too. And the Father says, great, let's go. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Creation started. Now, trouble's there. We got that. But look in Genesis 3. The fall of man has happened. God now looks at Adam and Eve and says, where you been? And Adam says, the woman you gave me made me do it. Her fault. The, man, the woman says, nope, the devil made me do it. And instantly into humanity, into humanity's DNA and thinking is the pass the buck mentality. The claim of not, I am not responsible. Somebody else is responsible. And you know what God's doing? You know, you know. If you've ever had disobedient children, if you've ever raised disobedient children, you just sit there and shake your head and go, one day life's just going to smack you upside. And you know what the Lord said? Just wait. It's coming. It's coming. And if you haven't had disobedient children, you're lucky and good for you. But guess what? Life's still going to get them. And you know what he says? He goes, that's okay because Satan, I'm talking to you for a minute. You see, you're doomed too. You're going to, verse 14, and the Lord God said unto the serpent. Now when he says serpent, he's not talking about a rattlesnake. The animal. He's not talking about a, the animal. He's talking about the personification of the character of the guy. When, when Satan showed to Eve, he didn't show as a snake wrapped around a tree. By the way, it wasn't an apple tree anyway. It's the vine. It's a grape that they ate of. And he didn't show. But when he says the serpent, now the serpent was more subtle. He's talking about the character. Have you ever seen a snake be subtle? Usually when they're on the road, what are they? They're loud and mean and aggressive. They're not sneaky. I woke the baby up. The thing is, is it's his character. So the Lord looks at, the Lord God looks over and says, listen, you're cursed. Above all the cattle and every beast of the field upon thy belly shalt thou go, and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I, by the way, the dust. That's not the snake crawling on the ground, folks. That's the lowest of low that you're going to go. You're at the bottom. You're not ex you want to be, I will be like the Most High God. I will be exalted above all that stuff in Isaiah 14. And God says, no, you're not. You're the dirt eater. That's who you are. Now watch what he says in verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Enmity. 
Does that sound like love and respect and hug? Or fight and battle and war? Fight, battle, and war. You see, there's a war raging here now. There's not a, oh, you know, poor little snakey, he did bad. Oh, poor little man. No, there's a spiritual battle going on. And he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head. Well, when you step on a snake, what do you usually do? You crush that thing, don't you? But before you get that, what's going to happen? And thou shalt bruise his heel. The snake strikes. The heel there is a reference we know now looking back from the completed revelation to Calvary. What did Satan do to Christ on Calvary? He had him at death's door to hold him. But death couldn't hold him. Why? Because he's God. Could you imagine, here's the son sitting right there at death's door, and he says, I lay my life down. I take it up. The Father gave me the rights to do that. Nobody can do that but me. You know, he could have easily looked at hell and said, hell be gone, and it had been gone. Why? Because he's God, but that's not the plan. What's the plan? There's going to be a war to rage now. And there's going to be an enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan, the adversary. Come over to Matthew 1. That seed runs down through a guy named Abraham. And Abraham through Isaac, not Ishmael, through Jacob, not Esau. And that seed runs and Jacob has 12 boys and those 12 boys become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And in those, now you think about it, 12 tribes. Okay, which tribe then? <laughs> Hello? There's a lot. Judah is the tribe. Jacob makes a pronouncement of a prophetic view that the the king and the sepulcher would be in Judah. And Judah is the tribe, but Judah is the largest tribe of them all. So which family? And so he rolls that bad boy down to Jesse. Now, I'm talking Matthew 1.1 here. And with Jesse comes a guy by the name of David. And David was... A man after God's own heart. He's a bloody man. He's a man of war. And there he is. And he's to be the king. But David's a mess. David's a wretch of a dad. And his kids usurp that. And use it against him. But then there's a boy. He's got a son named Nathan. Who wasn't. He loved his dad. Took care of his dad. Trusted in what his dad was done as king. And even while Solomon is on the throne and doing, Nathan stayed the course. And it's through Nathan's genealogy that we have Mary, the mother of Christ. Matthew 1 1, the, genea- this, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judah and his brethren. See how he just trimmed out 11 of the other kids? He just went right to Jacob. Now, this is the genealogy of Joseph, Mary's husband. Okay? Verse 16, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. But what I want you to do is go back to verse... Three, And Judas begat Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar, and Pharaoh begat, and Aram begat those guys, and they begat Solomon, and Solomon, verse 5, begat Boaz of, uh, of uh, Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Saul. And on you go. There's five women in the Lord's genealogy listed there. And they all represent five things that the Lord's going to come and accomplish in Israel so Israel can then go and accomplish. But the point is, is he's made of a woman. Why? Why doesn't God just say, son, go and be there on top of Mount Ararat where Noah's boat sits? Why doesn't he just say, go over there and be in wherever? Boom, you're there. Because the word of God told Satan in the garden you're going to, there's going to be a war between your seed and their seed, the seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman's going to come and crush you. And the seed of the woman's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. I gave you some references. Isaiah 7, the mother of Christ is to be a virgin. Prophetic picture. Micah 5, he's to be born in the little town of Bethlehem. Why are they in Bethlehem? 
Well, they're there to, to do the taxes. Yeah, but you know why the taxes were there? It was to get them to Bethlehem. Because where is Joseph and Mary from? Nazareth. You go to Psalms 116, verse 16, and there's a conversation there about the handmaiden of the Lord. Come over to Luke 1. Luke 1. Look at Luke 1, verse 26. He's, he's made of a woman. Here's this connection. Here's deity going to come. And he's going to take on the form of a servant. He's going to take on the likeness of human humanity. He's going to come and become humanity. He never loses deity. That's who he is. But now he comes over here and he does what? Takes on humanity. And by the way, only God can do that. You're not a God. You can't do that. I know you try, but you just can't do it, okay? Now, look at, look at Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, Isaiah 7, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. That's fascinating to me. Look at Mary. Who is she? Why is she picked? She's highly favored. She's blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Notice she's not troubled at seeing Gabriel. She's troubled at what he said. Now that's going to be important because from the end of Malachi to Matthew 1, the Gospels here, Luke 1, is 400 years of silence from the Lord. The Lord looks at Israel and he prophesies. He says there's going to be a famine in the land, not of wood, not of water, not of food, but of my word. So the five major prophets and the, how many minors? Come on, come on, come on, 12, okay. You guys write. And you know what happens? Gabriel, the first time God sends anyone into human history in 400 years is Gabriel talking to Zacharias, John the Baptist's dad, in the temple in, earlier in Luke 1. Now Gabriel goes over and talks to Mary. And you know what Mary's worried about? Not seeing Gabriel, but by what? By what he said. Now notice why. Verse 29. Troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said, I mean, think about that. The Gabriel just showed up and said, hey, how you doing? You're highly favored with God. You're blessed among women. What does that mean? What you talking about? You know, I, the old, well, what you talking about, Willis? You know, what are you talking about? And the angel, verse 30, said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. We'll talk about that in just a second here. You found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. The name Jesus means Jehovah Savior. That's what it means. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Just a fulfillment of what the prophet said he would do when he came. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Notice her question. Wasn't, what you talking about? What, why, what, me, who, what, what am I doing? Who is this guy? She doesn't question who he is. She doesn't question anything. She asks a legitimate, honest question of a young lady and says, wait a second, I haven't been with anybody. I'm espoused over here. I haven't been with anybody. That's fascinating. You know what that tells you? She's a Bible believer. She knew when he said to her the, that you, 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 he shall be great, and shall, or, well, actually, she knew when he said, you're going to bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. And she knew when he said, hey, he's going to be the son of the highest, the Lord God. She instantly knew who he was talking about. There was no doubt in her mind about it. 
Her question was, how is this going to happen since I haven't been with anybody? Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Verse 34, seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. She knew what was going on. She's there. Why? She knows what did the scriptures say. You're going to be born of a woman, the seed of the woman. She understood that. Drop down to verse, uh, well, just keep reading because it gets even better. Verse 36, and behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. There it is, Psalms 116. She quotes it. Be it unto me according to thy, what? Isn't that fantastic? And the angel departed from her. You know what she was resting upon? Not whether Joseph would do the job or do this or that. Not whether, but she's resting upon the word of God. The word to her. Drop down to verse 46. Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Magnify praise. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God. Watch that. My Savior. What does Mary know? She needs a Savior. That's what she knows. She's not over here, the Roman Catholic idea about Virgin Mary and all this stuff. She knows what? She knows she's a sinner. She knows she needs a redeemer. And she knows that she's about to have the kid that can, is going to be her savior. She's right on board. She's quoting Malachi 3. And you read down through there, verse 48, he, For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. Psalms 116, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty. Notice, everybody's going to call me blessed, and she goes right to magnifying him. And she does it by quoting Psalms 111, Psalms 103, Psalms 89, Exodus 15, Psalms 107, Psalms 98, Psalms 105, Psalms 132. She quotes that all the way down to verse 56. Because what does she know? She knows that the baby she's going to be carrying is who? The son of the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. She's not waffling, oh, is it me? Did I do it? She looks at Gabriel and she says, I'm trusting your word. Because what would have happened if she got pregnant outside of wedlock, if you will, in those days? wasn't a good thing. Actually, you know what Joseph does? We're talking about that. Joseph puts her away privately as she gets great with child. What does Joseph know? Joseph knows the deal too. And you go back in Matthew and you read the conversation between Gabriel and Joseph. And Joseph knows his book just as well and says, you know what? I know what's going on here. So what happens in Luke 2? And it come to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So where do they go? Well, they got to go to Bethlehem because that's where the tax is going to happen. Verse 7, and she brought forth, verse 6, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them. And you know what? His birth is a natural birth. There's no, when, we, when Linda and I, when we had the twins, we had to have it in the OR room because it's twins and you got just in case and all this stuff. But you know what? It was as natural as natural can be. And I thank the Lord. There was no complications. But you know what? That's for the Lord's birth. Natural. Comes out. Water breaks. <laughs> push, breathe. Push, breathe. The whole thing. Natural. Okay? It just happened to be in a manger in a stable, because there was no room for them in the inn. And that's a thing that's just phenomenal there about the poverty issue that will be answered and supplied by the wise men in Matthew 3. Verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the manger area, in the stable. 
In where? In the f- Think about your nativity scene that you see in Christendom out there. What do you usually see? Mary, Joseph, the baby, and shepherds, and wise men. But who's there at his birth? Joseph and Mary. Mom and dad. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, okay? Where are the, where are the shepherds in eight? They're out working. They're out doing the field. And lo, verse 9, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Again, no doubt who he is. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was... With the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into the heavens, that the shepherds said unto them, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. They're not even in the territory. They're not, they're not on the city limits. They're, down the, they're in the next county, three counties over, wherever they're at. And they go, and then they go and show up. You have to think about that. Come over to Matthew chapter 3, just, just so you catch the wise men here quickly. Because there's no wise men there. Matthew 2, I'm sorry, Matthew 2. Think about that issue, by the way, in Luke 2, about no, no room in the inn, no poverty. Okay, that's a poverty statement. Later on in Luke they go up to offer the sacrifice in the temple. We'll see it in just a minute. She offer, they offer the pair of turtle doves. That's the poor man's sacrifice. They're poor. Again, God could have just said, son, go down there and appear, and you're there. He doesn't do that. Why? Because there's prophecy. There's the word of the Father about the coming Messiah that is to be fulfilled, the virgin. The town, the fact that he's poor, the handmaiden, all of those things are clicking because he was made of a woman. Matthew 2, verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there were came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Oh, man, I wish we could study the wise men. The wise men, there's more than three. Okay, there's probably a whole gang of them. Some of the handbooks say upwards of 50 to 75. But they're carrying only three gifts. Gold, the king, frankincense, you know who that is? The priest, and myrrh, the suffering of the prophet. Why? Because they, that's who the Lord is. But what I want you to see, verse 2 saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship. They see the star. Balaam, back there in Numbers, tells them there's going to be a star coming. And when you see that star, then the Redeemer and the Messiah is in town. He's here. These guys know that. By the way, the Magi, they come out of the which sect? Where did they come from? From the east. Do you know what's east of Jerusalem? Babylon. Who was in Babylon? Daniel was. Daniel, the great giver of the prophet of the time schedule and what was going to happen and how things were going to work. And these are Gentiles, and you know what they're believing in? Actually, who they're believing in? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've come to worship. Now, drop down quickly. Verse 11. And when they were come into the manger. Where are the house? They saw the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and with Mary, his mother. No. I'm reading what the religion says. I know. They saw the what? The young man. No, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures. You see, when the wise men show up, he's a baby, no more. He's a young child sitting in a house. By the way, in Bethlehem, that's where they're at. You know how you know? Because the conversation with Herod and them are, hey, he's in Bethlehem. That's where he's going to be born. And where'd they go? They go to Bethlehem. And there, so something happened between 
the manger scene, and he's at least two, if not three, when they get there. Joseph is a carpenter. He went to work. I can build us out of this. But now what's going to happen? Well, look at verse 13. Well, verse 12, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the, Lord of, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now, how in the world is Joseph going to take mom and a young kid, a young child, to Egypt? on a carpenter's salary. Well, what just showed up in the treasures? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. By the way, Psalms 72, did I give you that on the list? 72, 10 to 11, prophesies about the kings coming and bringing gifts to the Messiah. Isaiah 60, verse 6, they're going to bring gold and incense, that's frankincense. There's no myrrh listed in these because the suffering of the prophet hasn't happened yet. That's future. Here they come. So when Paul says, in the time, it's time, let's go, and then he says, he, God sent forth his son. He can't do it and just say, go down there. You know, alien invasion, <laughs> there he is. He says, no, we've got to be sent made of a woman. He's got to come right. Because who is he? He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to come just right. He can't be off. He's got to meet every criteria. And he does. Now come back to Luke chapter 2. Because Paul ends that verse with made under the law. And what's fascinating about that is that when the Lord was born... The law of Moses was still in effect. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Old Testament ground. You don't get to the New Testament, Hebrews says, until you have the death of the testator. Well, we ain't at Calvary yet in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first part of it. Where, where are we? We're at the, born, the birthing part. You, you follow that? Okay. Luke 2, Mary has the baby, verse 21. When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Why are they circumcising him on the eighth day? Because that's the what? That's the law. That's what we do. Next verse. And when the days of, of her what purification were accomplished according to the law of Moses were accomplished they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord that's Leviticus 12 that's what the law required can't move until everything's good to go come over to Matthew 5 Matthew chapter 5 but I don't want to lose on you the irony Matthew 5 of some, when, when the angel looks at Joseph and Mary and says, it's time for you to go to Egypt, who went to Egypt? Think about Israel's history. Who goes to Egypt? Who's the boy that gets sold into slavery into Egypt? Joseph. Joseph is a major type of Christ in the scriptures. Joseph goes. Do you know who he hijacks when his brothers show up to make dad come? Benjamin, the youngest child, the young one. Now what happens when they go to leave Egypt? They go out and God calls Israel my firstborn. Here's Christ running for his life, if you will, from Herod into Egypt. He's going to come out of Egypt when God the Father, when, when what? When the timing is right. And he's going to come out as Mary's firstborn. Because who is he? 
He's God and man. He's both. Don't lose the irony on that. There's great pictures in this. Matthew 5. Matthew 5 in the earthly ministry, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first one. There's actually two, maybe three, depends on how you want to look at a couple other ones. But he, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, he gives the characteristics and the lifestyle of the kingdom saint. What the saints are going to look like, smell like, do, operate, function in his kingdom. And he says something very interesting in verse 17 about these guys, but really about himself. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. So obviously some folks thought he came to do what? To destroy the law. Or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to what? To fulfill. That's critical. Why did he, when he came, he was made of a woman, but made under what? The law. That's why he will look at his apostles and say, listen, those guys that sit in Moses' seat have the big robes and all that, and they do it for the glad handing and everything. What's Mo- He looks at that leper, he heals the leper, and he says, go to the priest as Moses told you to go to the priest. He's not preaching a new message back here. He's carrying on the old, isn't he? Please shake your head. Yeah. Make it rattle around. Romans 15. Romans 15. Romans 15. You see, folks, when Paul pulls this all out for us in Galatians 4, look at Romans 15. He's not doing it just to fill up. He's looking. He's like, look, guys, he's doing. Look at what God did so that you and I can be and have and claim to be the sons of God and cry, Abba, Father, and be redeemed and have a Savior. Look at what he did. He was right on time born. He was born in the right manner. He fulfilled all of the prophets. He fulfilled everything that God's Word said the Messiah would do. And Israel's Messiah is your Savior. Same guy. He doesn't die twice. It's not different. It's the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did this to redeem them that are under the law and that you and I could be, uh, you're in Romans 15, right? Look at Galatians 4. Folks, this is, Paul is, Paul always says, Israel's Messiah is our Redeemer today in the age of grace. Galatians 4, 4 Well, verse 5, to redeem them which were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, that issue of sonship. And because of that, you know what you can now cry? You can cry what an adult can cry, and that's Abba, Father. And because you can cry that is because look at what Israel's Messiah did. He came right. He didn't usurp it. Go back to Romans 15. In John 10, he says, hey, there's a shepherd that knocks at the door. The bad guy is going to climb over the fence. The good shepherd's going to go right in right away through the door. The porter will open the door for him. Then he gets in and he says, and my sheep will hear my voice. That's Israel. It's not you and I. You didn't hear a voice. You, you heard the word of your salvation, the gospel of your salvation, and then you believed it. Look at Romans 15. Look at what Paul says in verse 8 about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his earthly ministry. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Who's that? The fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenants belong to them. Who is the circumcision? It's not you, it's who? It's the believing remnant in Israel. That's who it is. Notice how Paul, our apostle, chapter 11, verse 13, how does, what does he declare the earthly ministry of Christ to be and to belong to? Israel. But look over at chapter 16, and this is because I ran out of paper on your room on your paper. Look at chapter 16, and look at verse 25 where Paul concludes the the whole of the establishment principles, the edification process of the book of Romans, and he says, Now to the power, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Wait a second, I thought Jesus Christ belonged to Israel. 
we preach Jesus Christ according to what? The revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. You know what Paul says? Well, 1 Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy 1. You know what Paul says? The same guy that was made of a woman, made under the law, came and did, lived for 33 and a half years, did, fulfilled Israel, became Israel's high priest, became, did everything Israel needed their Messiah to do. Is the same guy we preach, we're just going to preach him according to a different set of information called the mystery. Something that was kept secret since the world began. Over there in Luke 1, we didn't read it. Luke 2, actually, he talks about, actually, we did read it. Zacharias, when he talked there to John the Baptist, he said, this guy's been talking about since the world began. Something spoken since the world and something kept secret before the world are two different things. They're not the same. So Paul says, 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save, whoa, why did Christ come? Wait a minute. Matthew 1 says he came to save his people from their sins. This one's now talking. You know why? Because Matthew is time past. Earthly ministry. Paul is but now heavenly ministry. But notice it's the same guy. Chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. Verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Wait a minute, what about Matthew and 10 and Isaiah 53 and Matthew 20 and Matthew 26 when he says he came to redeem the many? And it's many, many, many. Now it's an all. Wait, why? One belongs to earthly ministry. One belongs to heavenly program. Same guy. Two different pictures. He's, look at verse uh, 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Who? Why does the prophet say there's a mediator between God and man back here and it's called the nation of Israel? And if Gentiles want to come to me, God says, they've got to come through the nation of Israel. They've got to take the sign of circumcision. They've got to bless Israel and do this and do that. Why? Time passed. Paul says, this is now. You see what's going on here? Why Romans 1? Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Wait a minute, Anna and Simeon were waiting to see the salvation of Israel. Remember that, Luke 2? They're right there. Paul says, yep, he's sitting right over there. Same guy, two different messages. Galatians 6. You see, folks, what Paul's doing in Galatians 4 is he's bringing in the fact that the same Jehovah, the same Lord Jesus Christ that came was made on time, was right on time, sent by God the Father to work out and to fulfill Romans 9. We didn't have time to look at it. You go to Romans 9, verse 4 and 5. He came in the flesh for Israel. Same guy. How many times does Christ have to die on the cross? He only died once. They only cut on the Lord's body one time. He died once for all, Hebrews says. Paul says, that's the same one that met me on the road to Damascus. That's the same one that now meets you in the moments of the privacy of your own heart where faith resides. It's the same guy. And you know how you know that he's the Redeemer and the Savior? Yes, he died at Calvary. Yes, he shed his blood. And yes, he's the one. But you know how you know he's the one? Because he was sent of God, made of a woman, made under the law. Look at what he fulfilled. He's the one. And you and I, while they celebrate his birth, Israel, the shepherds, I think we should go see the kid. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, let's go. 
the angels rejoice. Think about what's going on there. The wise men travel, come to see. They are what? What are they doing? They're celebrating his birth, aren't they? But look at 614 of Galatians. What do we celebrate? But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto... You know what? While they are celebrating his birth, we celebrate his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's what we celebrate. That's why Galatians 4, 4, and 5 reads the way it reads. Why he comes in with the Galatians and all of their mess that they're in doctrinally, and he says, listen, the same one that you guys are professing under the law is the same one that set you free to be a son and to be an adult. And you know that by look at what he did. Look at how he came. Look at the events that happened. Look at the witnesses to the events. So if you're over here and you're doubting who he is, you shouldn't because it's the same one. It's the same guy. It's the same. What did he come to do? He came to redeem. He came to redeem his people in that program. John 1.11 says he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him. There were some that did. He took care of them. You and I come along, God changes the program. Says, you know what, we're, we were many, and the many failed, now we're going to go for the all. And the access point now, to me, is going to be through the man, Christ Jesus. It's going to be through the one I sent. And trust and faith and believe. Romans 4, 5 says, but him that worketh not, but believeth. That's why it's faith, that's why it's a heart, deep down private thing. You just simply trust. Can I give you one more verse? We're good. Colossians 1. I told myself to behave this morning. I don't think I did very well. Look at Colossians 1. And look at verse 14. In whom we have... In whom? In whom? Who is that? Verse 13? Shoot. Verse 11, verse 10, verse 9, all of it. In whom? That's his dear son. We have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. And just as you can rely on him coming appropriately and doing, you can rely on him taking care of your sin problem as well. All you have to do is literally do nothing. If you had to walk the aisle, let me ask you something. If I said, in order for you to be saved, walk the aisle, and you stand to walk the aisle, do you start with the right foot or the left foot? I'm in it. See, that's your energy. That's your work. That's you trying to do. And he says, I have done it all. Do you know why grace irritates man? Because grace says, it's a gift. I did it for you. Man says, I got to help you. God says, no, you don't. You just trust me. In the privacy of your own heart, you just trust him. That's it. Now, it'd be cool if you told somebody so we can rejoice with you. But it's really a matter between you and God in your heart. In the fullness of the time was come. God sent forth his son. Made of a woman. Made under the law. There's no way to question that. He's right there. And when he came, he came to take care of you and I and our sin problem, man's sin problem. And he invites you to be a part of that. I realize this time of year, great things happen. You've got family, you've got traditions. You got, no, that's wonderful. I'm not saying don't do it. Just don't get lost in the weeds of all of that, of really what's happening. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you that he was made of a woman, made of under the law, that he fulfilled everything the prophets, Moses, and the Old Testament said he would. 
We thank you that he went to Calvary willingly to die for our sins. And we thank you that that's a gift. And while it seems that thank you is not enough, that's really all you require as we receive that gift is the issue of thankfulness. And Lord, I just pray for the folks as we go this week and as we do the family traditions and the family things that we would not lose the opportunity to talk about you and that we would use those opportunities to share you and what you have accomplished for us. In your name we pray, amen.